0: Welcome to Social Fishancing, a production of Coastal Roots Radio at the University of Guelph. This is our continuing coverage of the impacts of COVID-19 on coastal fisheries and fishing communities.
1: You know, you've never seen a food desert until you've seen the lack of fish and seafood in some of these communities. People forget that, in particular, wild caught seafood, it's the last way that we truly
2: source a wild food at a huge
3: scale. Seafood is complicated, and just asking what is sustainable is a door. You're opening up a door to a whole world of understanding the complexities of so, so many
4: things.
0: Hello, I'm your co-host, Emily D'Souza. I'm joined by... Philip Loring. And I'm Hannah Harrison.
5: If you're new to Coastal Roots, we're an international collaboration of communities, scholars, activists, and others who are interested in supporting the health, resilience, and sustainability of coastal communities around the world.
0: For just under a year, we've been using this podcast to cover how the COVID-19 pandemic has been impacting small-scale fisheries. We mentioned in the last episode that our coverage of the pandemic is coming to a close. And in partnership with our Atlantic team, we'll be handing the reins over to their capable hands for a second volume of Coastal Roots Radio to focus on stories of resilience and innovation on the East Coast.
4: And we're cooking up something new as well, a new Coastal Roots program called By and Large, which will take a broader look at coastal issues with a slightly different format, great guests, and a wide range of topics.
5: To give you a taste of what you can expect moving forward, Today, we're talking about seafood sustainability and answering that million-dollar question, what seafood should you eat?
0: Seafood sustainability can be a difficult and overwhelming topic to make sense of, even for the three of us.
4: I don't know about you two, but everyone in my extended family and their circle of friends thinks of me as the fish guy, and they're regularly asking me how I decide what fish to buy and why.
5: This has to be like the number one question I get asked at dinner parties. Often, people are torn between buying seafood that they recognize, that they can afford, and that which they know how to cook. I think it's especially tricky because seafood has such a variety of presentations, and something that you might recognize in the round, like a fish or a scallop, looks totally different once it's cleaned. Plus, we all know that some seafood is more sustainably caught, processed, and sold than others. So, how do we choose?
0: Today, we're talking to the experts who can help us answer that question. Let's start with our conversation with the OceanWise team. Claire is the Senior Science Lead for OceanWise Seafood and Fisheries, and Isabella is a Senior Account Specialist working with OceanWise Seafood partners across the seafood supply chain to share information and improve access to sustainable seafood. For listeners who aren't familiar, here's a little bit more information about what exactly the OceanWise Seafood program is.
3: We are a not-for-profit recommendation program. We started in 2005 when a chef by the name of Rob Clark approached a marine biologist at the Vancouver Aquarium because he was seeing a lot of information in the news about issues with overfishing and various things that were facing the world's oceans. And he wanted, as a chef, to be able to have some sort of benchmarking that he could use to communicate to his consumers that as a chef, he cares about seafood sustainability and he wants to make sure that he's selling sustainable options to his customers. So he kind of, through communication with um, Mike McDermott, who is the biologist at the Vancouver Aquarium, they got together and they collaborated with 16 restaurants in Vancouver who all um, committed to removing an unsustainable item from their menu and becoming an Oceanwise seafood partner. So our basis was very much in chefs and we've now grown 15 years later. We are a national program with business partners actually in about 13 different countries, Uh, but we are Canada's Sustainable Seafood Recommendation Program. And we partner with businesses across the entire seafood supply chain.
4: Now it's important to note that the folks at Oceanwise do not certify fisheries as sustainable. Rather, they looked to the Monterey Bay Aquarium's criteria for sustainable seafood and aquaculture. Here's Claire from OceanWise.
2: When our program was founded in 2005, uh, those founders decided that our program should be rooted in what is considered the global best practice for assessing fisheries and aquaculture operations for ratings programs. So we use the standard that Seafood Watch has authored. This standard actually covers wild capture fisheries as well as aquaculture, so there's two different standards, and of course, because those are two very different ways of producing seafood, um, so we look at very different criteria for both of
5: those. Now, we know that there may be cases where the Ocean Wise recommended products just aren't available, so we asked Claire and Isabella what would they say to a consumer who's standing at the seafood counter and feeling a little bit overwhelmed about how to make a sustainable seafood
3: choice. My first response would be, oh man, that's a not an easy question. <laughs> it seems like an easy question, but it's not as easy as you would think. And this is because seafood is one of the most complicated food systems in the entire world, right? It's not like chickens where your option is chicken. It's like haddock from X amount of regions harvested in X amount of methods that could lead to a combination of something being recommended as sustainable versus not. So it's difficult for us to make blanket statements like this species is sustainable because it can come from so many different regions around the world and be produced in so many different ways. So the best thing that you can do is start a dialogue and ask those questions. So you want to ask, what species is it? Where is it actually coming from in the world? Is it farmed or wild? And our website, which is seafoodatocean.org, is mobile friendly, and you can just pop up our website and you can look and you can ask Um, And you can look different, look up different recommendations uh, in our search engine Uh, and conveniently, there's also a partner map in there. So if the person behind the fish counter isn't giving the answers you want, just look up another OceanWise retail location near you and go there. And then you'll know you're making a decision that's uh, better for the environment.
0: Starting a dialogue is definitely the first step to making a better seafood choice. And as Claire points out, that dialogue needs to happen internally, too. This episode was partly inspired by the narrative that the only way to eat seafood sustainably is to not eat it at all. And I think that Claire has a really great response for people who might feel this way.
2: When people are thinking about whether it's unsustainable or not to eat fish or seafood, they really need to turn the question back into themselves and think, what are my key values of sustainability and how can I project that onto the seafood that I'm eating? And then the Ocean Wise Seafood program is a really great starting place for those people who want to start making you know, better choices about their seafood in terms of its environmental performance. But it's all about, you know, what motivates that individual.
4: There's another point I want to make here that, if you know me, you know has been a bit of a professional hobby horse of mine. That is, if sustainability is going to be a meaningful concept for society, it has to look past ecological concerns to social and economic concerns as well. You wouldn't think so, but this remains a pretty radical idea among many influential fishery scientists. I think Isabella explains it very nicely.
3: Whether you care about seafood sustainability or whether you care about economic sustainability or or social sustainability, like seafood intersects all of those really, really important key pieces. And it's also key to reaching global food security. So I just think that that's something that people should think about as well.
4: Now let's introduce the next seafood expert who will be helping us think about what we should be eating.
1: My name is Jennifer Bushman, and I am a strategic development consultant in uh, fish and seafood, specifically in sustainable ethical aquaculture. So I've worked on some of the development of amazing brands and projects that have been worldwide in a variety of species and in all different parts of bringing that fish and seafood, its story, its journey, its provenance to market in the United States.
5: We asked Jennifer the same question that we asked to the OceanWise team. What would you tell a consumer that's standing at the seafood counter, unsure of all of the choices in front of them?
1: first of all, it starts with just opening up your mind in terms of what products you think you can bring into your home to start cooking. So if you're going to the store, and we know that people are shopping and cooking more and more seafood at home, everything I talk about is building a sea pantry, S-E-A, a sea pantry through your refrigerator, your freezer, and the cabinets with sustainable, ethical seafood. And that can be things that are reared properly in terms of aquaculture or caught. It can also be things like products that you can really believe in that are more contributive, like seaweed, than consuming that can really help the planet.
4: Hang on. What's a sea pantry?
0: It's a new thing for me too, but Jennifer is encouraging consumers to regularly stock their kitchens with seafood products to get in the habit of using them more often in order to develop a taste for them and get more comfortable cooking with seafood.
1: My dad used to make when I was a kid this amazing beef stew, and I love acidity and kind of the the vegetative quality of a gremolata, and I made one with seaweed and preserved lemon. It doesn't take much for us to be supporting these companies and supporting healthy oceans when it comes to being um, part of this ecosystem. Many, many years ago, we were talking about you need olive oil, you need balsamic vinegar, you need to have some set pasta made from semolina flour and Italian canned tomatoes. Think of your sea pantry in that way. All of the ingredients that you buy, that you're looking for their provenance, you're reading the label, and then you're stocking them on hand so that, you know, when you do that great rub that you normally would have made with chili powder and maybe with some garlic powder, that you add that little bit of, say, ocean's balance seaweed so that we can start to build a palette for these ingredients so they really can contribute to the future of our food system.
5: Now, while Jennifer works in the sustainable seafood business, her primary focus is on aquaculture. Aquaculture can get kind of a bad rap in the fisheries world due to the negative impacts of large-scale commercial fish farming in some places. But we've also talked about aquaculture in episodes 6, 18, and 19, where we heard examples of shellfish and traditional types of aquaculture that are supporting local communities. When we spoke with Jennifer, we wanted to ask her specifically about the sustainability aspects of aquaculture products.
0: Aquaculture has been a polarizing issue among the seafood industry for quite some time, so part of the reason that I invited Jennifer to speak with us for this episode is because she's determined to end what she refers to as the great divide amongst aquaculture and wild fisheries.
1: You know, we have had aquaculture in our history for thousands of years. We have been raising fish. King Kamehameha raised Kampachi on the island of Kona. So we have historical proof that it is important to rear fish and have that solution help to balance out what the demand is in wild stocks.
5: You know, that's a really great point. When it comes to seafood, it's easy to get hung up on whether a product is wild or it's grown, but it's important to remember that there are examples of good and bad seafood production practices in both of those categories.
1: Just like you can raise chicken well and you can raise chicken badly, aquaculture is no different. But the idea that there is farmed versus wild and one is better than the other, you know, I sit down at a menu and I only order wild. I will never eat a farmed fish. This us versus them mentality is causing us to stop the development of and the growth of fish and seafood consumption. It's not an us versus them, it's going to take all inputs to feed the planet.
5: Before we go, we want to leave you with three simple questions to ask yourself next time you're at that seafood counter trying to decide what to eat.
4: First, what am I eating? Is it a local species? Is it in season? And if not, what's going into getting it from wherever it was caught and whenever it was caught to my plate?
0: Second, how is my seafood caught? Some seafood harvesting methods are easier on the environment and the seafood than others. Choose fish that's caught by selective gear types.
4: For example, many people are concerned with buying dolphin-safe tuna. The problem with tuna has always been the nets. They scoop up tuna, but also sharks, sailfish, even sometimes turtles or baby whales. The alternative is to buy pole and line tuna. This is a method that catches only tuna, and it also employs a lot more people in good jobs.
5: And three, how is it packaged and labeled? Flash frozen seafood like what you find in the supermarket frozen section, is often fresher and has a more efficient supply chain than the stuff you find under glass at the counter. Also, consider, does your seafood have an eco-label or some other indicator that the supply chain is transparent and uses fair labor practices? And one final thing we want listeners to know is that while identifying a sustainable seafood option may not always be the easiest thing, there is one thing about seafood that's always a piece of cake. Preparing it.
3: As someone who is not a classically trained chef by any means, I can tell you seafood is actually one of the simplest things to cook. It's really just a matter of, you know, taking a, a fillet of something and, and sticking it in the oven for 20 minutes with some lemon and uh, maybe some Dijon mustard and you're good to go. People will be impressed. It's not
1: that hard.
4: Thanks for joining us. Social tensing is a production of Coastal Roots Radio at the University of Guelph. We have enjoyed bringing you the stories of coastal communities around the world for the last year. Stay tuned for one more episode of Social Fischencing, where we check in with many of our past guests. And though that will mark the end of Social Fischencing, it won't mark the end of Coastal Roots Radio. Stay tuned for stories from the Atlantic Coastal Roots Radio team, and also for our new program, By and Large, which will premiere sometime in summer of 2021.
5: To connect with us, visit us on the Coastal Roots website at www.coastalroots.org. If you'd like to share your story with us, collaborate, or you have questions about this podcast, send an email to stories at coastalroots.org.
0: Coastal Roots Radio is funded by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada, the Errol Food Institute at the University of Guelph, and the Par Network. We also receive support from the American Anthropological Association and the local catch network.
4: You're listening to Twinkle Twinkle by David Mumford, available on the Free Music Archive. See you next time.